Public service warning. To all legal representatives, Jambags would like to indicate that the following podcast is a work of satirical fiction. Nothing, including the true bits, are factual or have any basis in reality. In all cases, voices are dubbed to protect the fictional identity of those involved. In no way is this real and should not be treated as such. We, the owners of Jambags, have no money and really cannot afford a lawsuit in any way. This is intended as a work of fan art and fiction, without the explicit sex scenes. Any sex noises are unintended noise unless expressly stated as such. Yours sincerely, Dante Rodriguez, Earl of Spuffdom. independent documentary feature for this morning, this afternoon, or this evening. I'm Samuel Buffont, and this is the Jambags documentary on Hideo Kojima. Famed game developer, visionary, snappy dresser, and Mads Mikkelsen appreciator. Over the course of today's programme, we will discuss the evolution of this maverick genius, from the small child growing up in Japan, to possibly this most single recognisable video games legend after Waluigi using interviews of those who knew him best and were instrumental in the various stages of his career, we piece together just who this enigmatic, bespectacled man actually is. This is Hideo Kojima, the rise, fall and rise again. For those aficionados of video game culture like ourselves, the name Hideo Kojima, meaning intriguingly solid snake of a thousand eyes in his native Japanese, is something of a god. In a world where developers go largely anonymous, this behemoth of the video game world is literally a rock star. He is to gaming what Elvis was to rock and roll, what John Lennon was to the 60s, and what Nirvana were to cashboard babies in swimming pools. Through games like Snatcher, CD-ROM Antic, Zone of the Enders, and Boktai 2, Solo Boy Django, Kihima cemented his reputation. It was with a little series that he himself created, the Metal Gear series, that this boy savant has really won himself the blinding devotion of fans and even critics. Tied into Kihima's career, like a snake suckling on a piglet, is the relationship between Hideo Kihima and Konami, the publishing house where he was to produce so many gaming legends. Hideo Kihima, literally translated in Japanese to mean boy of tremendous vision, was born in Japan three months before his date of birth on August 23rd, 1963. In the West, the Beatles released She Loves You, but unbeknownst to anyone, a small Japanese baby emerged into the world. We talked to Agnes McSquirrel, a neighbour to the Kihima family in the Setagaya region of Tokyo. You're right, love. I'm right, love. But you're right, love. Alright then, love. Yeah, so, you know, Hideo, oh, he was a sweet little baby he was. You know, most babies, they don't have much hair, you know, but this one came out with jet black hair and a perfect pair of designer glasses. You know, he was such a serious baby and a little toddler. On his fourth birthday, I remember asking him what he wanted to be when he grew up, and he looked at me dead in the eye and he said he wanted to contribute to anti-nuclear proliferation via cutting-edge multimedia. Well, I said, that's nice, but, you know, what about a fireman? And how did Hideo play with the other children? Oh, 
Wally there was a little scout for playing hide and seek. He were wherever he went, he carried a cardboard box with him that he made him that he thought made himself invisible. You know, so whenever he played hide and seek, he then would just hop under his box and slowly move around the playground. At first, the children just spotted him, but he began to experiment. You know, I remember I was babysitting for his parents one weekend, and I realised I hadn't heard from him in over an hour. So I honoured high and low, and there he was, under a box on top of a cupboard in a spare room. Three hours he was sat there in silence. He even put some stickers on the box. When he was four, the family moved to Osaka, then back to Tokyo, then back to Osaka two more times, before setting at last in the small city of Shiraski, before moving back to Tokyo one more time, before settling again in Shiraski. To keep the family together, they would often watch movies. We talked to Hideo's childhood friend, Steve Fantastico. Steve, you would often go over to the Kahima family home to watch movies in the evening. Well, yeah, I mean, my family never really watched films, but there's not having a TV, a toilet roll, or running water, so I spent a lot of time around their house. Hideo was a good friend, like... You can tell how he loved his movies. People often assume that he liked the Bond films or the world films, but the truth was he's a far bigger fan of those raunchy Western comedies like Revenge of the Nerds or Hot Dog the Movie. He said our trans facts. Now he's not moving. The screen but watching them again and again. He was so obsessed with 2001 Space Odyssey, he made us watch two minutes every night, but not the same two minutes. A randomly selected two minutes. Sometimes you play it on fast forward to make us take the cassette out of the VHS and move it to another VHS player in another room before we could even continue. As he entered his teenage years, Hideo Kojima, whose name in Japanese can be translated as one who can walk many paths, had multiple career paths, but could not quite settle on any particular one. A fan of film, he tried making his own short films until he accidentally blew up his school's processing lab while trying to make his own experimental film stock. 32 students lost all their hair in that incident. He attempted a career in music, but after the critical failure of his 32-hour solo show, Walker of Peace, he moved on. Unable to determine where to put his fantastical talents, he caved to pressure from his parents and school and began a four-year degree in economics. We talk now to one of the lecturers, Professor Goldman. You taught Hideo Kahima during his four years at college. What was he like to teach? Well, with, with Hideo, it became quite clear early on the path. Economics was not going to be his chosen career path, despite grading well at the end of each semester. How so? Well, he could be quite disruptive in classes or lectures, often asking questions about obscure points. A case in point, we were talking about the decrease in projection during the Great Depression in the United States. I asked what percentage decreased. His hand shut up and he said, yes, but what was the real cost on the American soul? The answer I was looking for was 41%. Despite this, it was during this time at college that he began to fall in love with an emerging medium, video games. We talked to Gerald Hardenplop who lived with Gehima during this time? Yeah, so, I mean, like, my dad was into real estate investment and things, and he kept throwing money at me rather than visiting me. So I went out and bought all the gadgets and came back to the flat. One day, it was a Nintendo Famicom. I got bored after, like, ten minutes. I phoned my dad for some more money. But Hideo was all over it and would just sit for hours playing Super Mario Brothers, Portopia serial murder case, and Captain Phantasm ejaculation for hours on end. Not that I cared. Because, you know, like I meant, it was in front of the TV and I could spend longer in the shower playing with myself. When Kahima left college, he faced an unsteady world. He decided to forge his own path and, like Captain Phantasm, took the hardest one. Shocking his family and friends, Kahima, after some trying, joined video game publisher Konami as a game developer. All the more incredible 
Jose Kojima wasn't able to code at all. In fact, he had a rare condition called codophobia that meant that he had to write all game code backwards and then have it typed forwards again. It was the start of a trying, sometimes abusive relationship between Kojima and Konami. We talked to Kojima's first DevOps boss, Gary Jennings. Now Gary, you were technically Kojima's boss when he started at Konami, is that correct? Well yes, it's completely correct in your understanding of what happened. Well can you tell me anything about Kojima's early time at Konami? Well, with his code of phobia, it was pretty clear that things were going to be difficult for Hideo. I mean, the fact that we had to have a full-time developer to retype his code out was a burden in the dev team. He worked on bits and bobs for us here and there, like Antarctic Adventure and the Pandas Plums. However, I saw him a bit of myself in his attractive hair and spectacles. I decided to help him on his way to greatness. He needed me to oversee his transition to the video game world and find his true destiny. I understand that you were personally responsible for cancelling his first original development, Lost Wild, for the MSX platform in 1986. Well, yeah, I did do that, but that was for his own good. The game wasn't quite right, and I think he had bitten off more than he could chew. I was trying to protect him from the higher-ups who wouldn't take too kindly to him. Off the back of that, I pushed him forward to take over a troubled development game called Metal Gear, also for the MSX. It was just that really drove him forward. If I can just read here a memo you sent to your superiors, you state, This game is utterly cocked as it is, and Kahima can only cock it up even worse, and then we can sack him and his greasy straight hair and lardy dog glasses right out the door. Well, yeah, I did say that. But in my defence, the management structure was quite difficult at Konami at the time. Kahima, though, took to Metal Gear like a duck to gilded mayonnaise. The constraints of the MSX system, the MSX being a home computer not released in the United States, and therefore utterly worthless to discuss, Megajima had to rework the combat. The system could not handle more than two shooting animations per hour. So, in an instant, he changed the combat to be stealth, where the player has to avoid combat. With this masterstroke, the gaming world changed forever. Now, if a player did use a weapon more than once an hour, the game broke, but by design. Still, he was forced to compromise. As says Gary Jennings. Yeah, I mean, Hideo really wanted the titular Metal Gear to be an amphibious rodent geisha, but the graphic limitations meant it was just a robot. But, you know, he took it well. The game, when released, became an instant classic in Japan, where it sold very well and became the biggest selling MSX game in Europe, where it sold seven copies, two of which were then returned when the owners realised it wouldn't work on a Commodore 64. It led to a sequel and several other titles, such as the Snatcher series, which gave Hideo his first taste of cinematic scenes. As this went on, Kojima had become noticed by senior management at Konami. In a massive coup, we managed to speak to one senior board member who would only give us his moniker of Iron Knuckles, his nickname at work. Right, yeah, so Hideo fucking Kojima. Once his two Metal Gear games had made some bank, nothing massive, nothing like our other games like Bandit Pants and Arse Scuffler, but still, for two guys, one writing code backwards, the other translating it forwards, it was a nice little investment for us, you know what I mean? Now, we knew something big was coming in the mid-90s. Sony, those bastards what made the videos and TVs and all that shit, were doing some sort of disc-based media. And I don't mean some half-assed fanny of a Sega Mega C fucking D, but a proper 32 gig machine capable of doing some nifty things. Now most of our developers, like that blotchy Belen Jennings, would just tried to keep making 2D games like Bandit Pants Rever. They had no fucking idea. Yet here we have this young lad who was practically begging to be doing more multimedia content doesn't take a fucking genius to see what me and the rest of the directors saw. So is this the beginning of Metal Gear Solid 1? Of course it fucking is, you prick. 
What other fucking games did he make on a Sony platform in the mid-90s? Fuck's sake. Anyway, we wanted to knock this little prick down to Konami. So we dragged him up to our penthouse suite at the top of the building during one of our Tuesday night coconooka parties. We offered him a little promotion, his own chance to do a Metal Gear game from this new Sony bit of stuff. And while he was watching each of us being inflated, got him to sign a contract that gave us complete control of him. Oh. Unbeknownst to Kahima regarding his new legal serfdom, he eagerly got to work on a new form of game. A stealth adventure in combat sim following on from his earlier Metal Gear games, Metal Gear Solid for the PlayStation was a new type of game. Blending 3D graphics with filmic cutscenes and voice acting, Kojima became obsessed with actors and acting, some of which led to some amusing behind-the-scenes story. We talked to Paul Smelding, who voiced Roy Campbell in the game. Now, Kojima was an actor's director, if you know what I mean. He demanded we all go method, and as a result, for the two-year development, I could only speak through some sort of electronic equipment. It was part of the contract, which admittedly I didn't read until I'd already flown out of Japan. Anyway... I remember one day we were doing a recording of a death scene for Solid Snake, uh, voiced by Earl Hazy. Uh, we had two lines of dialogue, but in typical human fashion, uh, we had begun recording it for three weeks. Now, David Hazy had it roughest. He was the only lad on set if he managed to sneak in without anybody seeing him. If he was bothered, he had to wait until the next day. Anyways, Hazy is getting annoyed after three weeks and just loses his rag one day, and Kojima slaps him with a moldy fish sandwich. He just jumps up. Oh, obviously, we're being method. We can only call each other by our names. So I shout out in surprise as he wanders down the corridor. Snake! 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 Just like that. Of course, I didn't know that Kojima had recorded the whole bloody thing, and that's been a staple of the games ever since, of course. Hates uh, he won't talk about the fissions now, so I don't even bother trying to talk to him. Over at Konami, it was becoming clear that something special was shaping up. Over to Gary Jennings, now working under Kojima on the project. Metal Gear Solid 1 was quite clearly going to be a massive hit. I could see it, and it was an honour to be Kahima's partner on the game. As I understand it, you were now working for Kahima. Well, yeah, that's true. But I mean, as his mentor, I was very much the partner on the whole game. I mean, when you saw the game, you can understand exactly what I mean. When Metal Gear Solid launched to the PlayStation, it changed the way the gaming world saw 3D games and the stealth genre. It beat sales projections to sell over 6 million copies globally. Hideo Kahima was a star in the gaming world. I mean, we were over the fucking moon. We need any old game to whap out on the PlayStation. To be honest, we'd written that Metal Gear game off by this point as a tax loss. But that little bastard turned a dry, dried up turd into pure gaming gold. It had taken some time, but guess what? We had an inside source that Sony was making another console, the PlayStation 2, and that fucker would have a DVD player built in. Makes sense we'd push that four-eyed genius bastard into making more Metal Gear Solid games. Of course, we wanted to feel like he was being, you know, what we wanted him for. So we let him come and do some Game Boy Advance bollocks. I mean, in fucking ten they were asking for him. They even wanted to remake Metal Gear Solid for their purple chuff box, the cube or whatever. Gaima felt like he owed some debt to Miyamoto or whatever, so we let him to work together a bit with full license rights, of course. With Metal Gear Solid 1 in the bag and already a cult hit, the celebrity Gehima, whose name in Japanese means... Mad of Mixed Metaphor, did some collaboration with Nintendo on the Boktai games to Game Boy Advance, but all eyes are on Metal Gear Solid 2. Over to one of the marketing team who worked at Konami during this time, Simon Lazenby. Well, there was a big fight between Konami and Kohima over the name of Metal Gear Solid 2. Konami wanted it to be called Metal Gear Solid 2 Sons of Sneakers, whereas Kohima wanted Metal Gear Solid 2, Liberty Only Comes with Complete Vigilance and the Self-Sacrifice of the Brave and Innocent, not to mention justice to those who deserve it. In the end, I organized a round table with all parties, and we agreed that a merging of the two. 
in Sons of Liberty. It was during this time it became clear to me that Kohima was trying to assert himself against his management team. In 2001, Metal Gear Solid 2, Sons of Liberty, was released for the PlayStation 2 and was another commercial hit. Kohima was on a roll. However, it was not without his controversy. The switch from Snake to a new protagonist, Raiden, didn't go down well with some. Simon Lazenby continues. Well, I mean, some people were really angry about the whole thing. That is Kojima, though. People wanted a straight-up sequel, and they got something a little bit different. He did it on purpose. I remember one press interview where the reporter tried to address it with Kojima. As soon as he mentioned the Raiden character, Kojima put on an eye patch, sat on the floor, legs crossed, and then sat for two and a half hours until the reporter got angry and left. He just laughed afterwards. That was what doing a press for Hideo Kojima's game was like. With the success of Metal Gear Solid in particular, we return to Steve Fantastico. Well, one thing I do remember is how much he used to like to make people jump. He didn't like scary things himself, but he bloody loved getting someone else good and proper. It was like things recording children laughing and playing it back in my room late at night, putting the pretend baby fetus in my sink, or leaving me messages on my mirror saying, Go to out. The thing is, every time he got me, I used to make this funny sound, and he loved it. I think he loved it so much. And can you remember what that sound that was? Well, this was back before my fellas dropped, but it went a little bit like... Burp, burp. And could it have been this sound that Gehima used so famously when a player was discovered by an enemy in Metal Gear Solid? Well, the thought did occur to me, and obviously after the second Metal Gear Solid game, I did try and contact Konami about the whole thing. And how did that conversation go? It was a tense legal situation, but by the end, their representative made it quite clear... They would super glue my scrotum to the ceiling fan in my kitchen if I didn't drop the matter right there. I found this argument quite compelling. Mr. Fantastico, we represent Konami's lawyers in a common discussion of ceiling fan. Ooh, fucking those bells. As sales rose, there started to be a bit of friction between Konami and Kahima. Kahima wanted to make Metal Gear Solid 3 a PS3 game. But due to the delay in Sony rewriting the next-gen console backwards by a team of blind monks, Konami wanted it on the PlayStation 2. Look, I mean, the PS3 was being acted about something chronic, and we had another financial year to make look good, and what we needed was another Metal Gear Solid game, yeah? We also wanted it first person, because that was clearly what the market was after, but no, Mr. Ooty Snooty Glasses wanted it to round out the trilogy with the same fucking camera. Then he went and made it set in a jungle. Do you know how fucking hard it is to animate green things? There is a reason why the Flubber movie was so cocking expensive and just looked like Robin Williams had spunked a load of snot everywhere. Metal Gear Solid 3, Snake Eater, launched in 2004 and has since gone on to win many plaudits, with many calling it greater than Gone with the Wind, The Bible and Ski School 2. Kojima was a new auteur of video games, a director equal to Kubrick or Peter Molyneux. It was something that didn't go unnoticed as all the accolades went to the director and not the people who helped make the game including the Konami seemingly management. Back to Gary Jennings. Well, I was clear tough today. I mean, we all were. He deserved everything he got. He was now gaming's biggest talents, working on the same project as you. Who wouldn't be pleased? According to HR records, at this time, you sent several threatening letters, emails and DNA samples to Gehima, including one note written in your blood that read, we will hate you, the management hate you, your devs hate you, and I personally licked your glasses once you were out of the office. Well, yeah, I did do that, but I mean, I had to, didn't I? That was a type of office banter at the time. We were all sending each other letters in the mail, vials of blood, dead cats. We wanted to make sure he felt part of the team. 
after Metal Gear Solid 3, Kojima intimated that he was done with the franchise and would direct no more. This angered both those at Konami and fans of the game series itself. Fans couldn't be sure Kojima was trolling them, but they responded angrily. Simon Lazenby explains. I think the thing that really like persuaded Hideo to go back to Metal Gear Solid uh, as a director was the threat that came in from one fan. Now this deranged lunatic threatened to eat a snake alive in honor of Snake Eater. Another fan sent video links of him trying to break into a zoo and fist a rhino. That was just breaking point for him, I think. Pressured by fans and Konami alike, Kojima was backed into a corner and pumped out more Metal Gear Solid games, including Metal Gear Solid 4, Guns of the Patriots, and then Peace Walker for the PSP. They sold well, but in technical terms, things were going wobbly. Getting Kojima to keep pumping out Metal Gear games was getting increasingly hard, yeah? He wanted little masterpieces and we just wanted to make any old fucking tosh that we could slap the Metal Gear name on. Problem was, to sell it, you needed that fuck nut directed by Ida Kojima to be worth a damn to the fucking audience. Not only that, but the cost was going through the fucking roof. We're talking millions upon millions of dollars. The price of perfection, he said. Price of an ego, that's what I cocking said. Kojima was forced to work on more Metal Gear games and was spending more and more money on the famous Fox engine that he wanted to employ for the next-gen Metal Gear Solid game. This all came at a cost as he worked on what would finally be the last Metal Gear Solid game. Metal Gear Solid, The Phantom Pain. Gary Jennings again. I mean, yeah, the Fox engine was pretty amazing what it could do. We were trying to make an engine that could detect AI movements, allow near-perfect stealth and require amazing reaction times. Kojima regularly said that if a cow gave birth in game, the player should be able to hear the move several miles away and then turn it into veal when it was old enough. That was the perfection he was looking for, and that's what we worked to deliver. I understand, but by this point, you're working as a PA to Kojima's PA, and your duties largely consisted of getting coffee orders and serving pastries. Well, yeah, I mean, that, that is true, but I mean, I was still in the room. Box engine? More like a fucking cash engine. That mad bastard was pumping cash in like no one's business. Who cares if a bastard cow shits in a field and someone can stand in it or whatever? We wanted a quick next-gen title to cash in, and he was making a virtual world at our expense. We had to sneak the first level out as Ground Zeroes wrapped in a dead raccoon to recoup some of the fucking costs. When he found that out, he wasn't a dead raccoon, Kojima would flip his chuffing in and smash 14 pairs of designer glasses. There was a sweepstake on whether he could try and walk out. Of course, that was when he realised in the small print that we owned all his intellectual property, as well as his house, furniture, and all past, present and future seamen, and only we could sack him. Prick. Despite the cost, Konami still had a prodigy on their hands, and they knew it. After the Ground Zero's raccoon debacle, and Kojima's realisation that Konami owned him and his manly essence, Konami feared he would work to get fired deliberately. So they devised a two-way plan. Firstly, give Kojima an intellectual property he had been clamouring to resurrect, namely Silent Hills, while at the same time secretly converting all his past masterpieces into gambling pachinko machines. Despite it all, Kojima took the bait and started on Silent Hills, giving a chance to work with his favourite actor and crossroad advocate, Norman Reedus. We managed to get this short interview with Reedus' agent. So yeah, I got this call from some Japanese guy, claiming to be the world's biggest fan of Norman Reedus, want him for a game or some shit. I said, listen, buddy, Reedus doesn't get out of bed for anything less than a long run in the heart of some rival TV show where he'll eventually take over as the lead fucking character and another lead fucking leave the show. He wouldn't shut up, though. He said he knew everything about Reedus, what his favorite drink was, who he first screwed, his blood type, where he was right now. I hung up. Then I got 240 fucking seven emails in a 13-minute window from him. 
Calamity will pay all expenses. I went back with an offer of 50 fucking mil. Something ridiculous. Guess what? 24 hours later, a check appears in my office. Day after that, Reedus was flying to fucking Japan land. This and the increasing budget for Metal Gear Solid 5 was the final straw for Konami, and things only got worse when Kojima's mother became addicted to the Metal Gear Solid 3 pachinko machine. He fucked up big time, yeah. I mean, sure, his mum was spending thousands on pachinko machines because she thought it was supporting his son. And sure, we might have sent her a letter, you know, perhaps further in that. But at the same time, this prick blew $50 million on Norman fucking readers. Now, I like the Boondog Saints as much as the next buff brain bellend, but I mean, come on. He was getting through more cash than one of our executive yacht parties. Fuck all that, he needed to be taught a lesson. So, a lesson was indeed taught. Kojima being strapped to a small table in solitary confinement, being fed nothing but instructions from senior management via Keith Sutherland, who acted as an interpreter between the two. The money for Silent Hills was removed and the project cancelled with just a demo, PT, surviving. Rumour has it that this is because it made the CEO of Konami defecate in a boardroom when he played it from pure terror. Metal Gear Solid 5 was nearly done with just the ending to Act 2 to wrap up. Then, Kojima offered up his last act of resistance. Gary Jennings gives the details. So I was cleaning the toilets on the third floor when I overheard what had happened. Two of the day's trusted guys had helped him escape for a few hours from solitary. Using his canny knowledge of human psychiatry, he had deduced that the CTO of Konami's main fear was children's ball pools. Swiftly, they ordered 4,000 multicoloured balls and filled his office with them while he was on a conference call in another room. He came back, opened the door and had a complete breakdown. They found him in the back of the boardroom chewing his fingers off. Seems like Hideo got on his revenge though. I knew the exact what would happen when they found out. Which they did because you, you told them. Yeah, that, that is true, of course. That was just Hideo's own good, if you know what I mean. This was the last and final straw. Metal Gear Solid 5 was rushed out of the door and Gidehima soon followed suit. The successful partnership of nearly 30 years was broken and our story is nearly at an end. Good fucking riddance. We still haven't found our CTO's missing fingers. We think he swallowed at least one. But what of the legend of Hideo Kojima? We talked to some leading industry figures about his impact in the gaming world. Peter Molly, yes. It was pretty radical, you know what I mean? I mean, I came up with the idea of sneaking around first. I mean, I've been doing it since I was two. But, you know, it was the first person to say my idea and make a game about it that I never played. I mean, I could tell you right now that there wouldn't be the stealth section of Dragon's Aki Sack 3 if I hadn't nicked it for Metal Gear. I offered him a job because one of my 43 new projects, but I don't think he speaks English because he never got back to me. Over now to critic Gene Sterning. Well, he's a legend, isn't he? He, man, you know, he's you know, one of the big names of the industry. He's one of the few people still left in that AAA games industry that's not turning out complete shit every time. I mean, really, thank God for me and thank God for Hideo Kojima. However, his work was not without controversy as Gus Van Plute, indie gamer connoisseur, asserts. So like, yeah, I mean, the story was really convoluted in the Metal Gear franchise and made like no sense, which I thought was great, as there were some little flourishes, but then at the end of the day, Lowe was still soldiers and guns and technology was really cutting edge. I mean, like, who's interested in that? Others have claimed that Kahima objectifies women, using the example of Quiet, a character of Metal Gear Solid V who spends the whole game in underwear. Others, however, disagree. Cyril McMoist, the owner of Cosplay Candy website, uppersnappers.com, had this to say. 
The genius of Kahima, and the character of Quiet, is that she's been experimented on and breathes and absorbs water through her skin. So, like, she can't not wear clothes. This is just great storytelling and more characters, female obviously, should have a backstory where it means they can't wear many clothes and have to pose and stuff for me. I mean, I mean the player. So, what's the future? Well, for Hideo Kojima, whose name in Japanese means one who makes exclusivity deal, the future is bright. In a brilliant move, he formed his own studio, got Sony to fund him on a new project, bought new office furniture and hired Norman Reedus back at the original price tag for his new game, Death Stranding. And what of Konami? Well, they've just launched their next move in the Metal Gear franchise, Metal Gear Survive. Well yeah, so after Hideo left, obviously a lot of people went with him and anyone who liked him was demoted. So I bravely stepped into the breach and offered my services. I had heard that surviving in games was a big thing, so I was like, why not use the brand new Fox engine to poke zombies in the face with a big stick, I said. They gave me the money and the game has been really well reviewed and received by fans. I understood you received death threats. Well, yeah, that's true, but I mean, that's when you know you've made something really original. And so we bring this Jambax documentary to a close on the life of Hideo Kojima and his work with Konami. Who can tell what the new works we can expect in the future? All we do know is that Norman Reedus will be doing well out of it. Thank you for listening to this jam bag special Hideo Kojima documentary. And uh, if you like this content, then uh, please feel free to follow us on Twitter at jambags underscore UK. Uh, follow us on Instagram at jambags underscore UK. Check out the jambags.co.uk website. And you can find us on Facebook as well. Uh, this type of content is scheduled for the first Wednesday of every month. So check us out there. And the regular jam bags podcast is scheduled for the third Wednesday of every month. So check out that out as well. Uh, it's available on iTunes, Spotify. Uh, thank you very much for listening.